Hello and welcome to I'm a Fan of That, a podcast about all things fandom told through objects, stories, and studies with a bit of silliness along the way. Your hosts on this journey are pop culture writer, journalist, and cosplay expert Holly Swinyard and myself, Viviana Simos, a public anthropologist and pop culture academic with a PhD in religion and popular culture. Join us as we wander down the incredible and intriguing path into fan culture, its history, the people who make it up, and the way that we look at this ever-growing part of our society. Fair warning, we may talk about some adult themes, use some adult language, and possibly get a little bit nerdy about the whole thing. You have been warned. And welcome to I'm a Fan of That, where we talk about the wonderfully complicated worlds of fandom through the objects we love. I am Viviana Simos. And I am Holly Swinyard, and I'm definitely not doing a dance that you guys can't see. <laughs> we got on the call, and the first thing that I heard Holly say was, dance time! Yeah! Woo. I've got so, a lot of energy today. Yeah, I was about to say, if that hints into what kind of episode this is gonna be... <laughs> Like, the last few episodes we recorded, I've been, like, super sleepy because I've been finishing deadlines and all this sort of stuff. And for some reason today, I'm like, yes, all the energy's back. Woo! <laughs> Rejuvenated. I know, it's great. Um, well, today, I have no object. <gasps> I'm wounded. I have, I have a thing. <laughs> a thing? I have is a thing that is not thing? an object. It is my arm. <laughs> I feel like there's some like really weird philosophical thing about whether the human body can be an object involved in this. I mean, we might get to that, but <laughs> but I have on my left, I think that's my left, I have on yeah. my left arm um, the words of the One Ring, because again, contractually obligated to mention Tolkien in every episode, um, I have the, uh, the words from the One Ring around my arm. It's in like a brown because I like it. Pretty. Um, and yeah, that was my very first tattoo. I say very first, like I have thousands of them. I only have <laughs> two at the moment, but I've got a third one planning and I'm saving up for it and hoping hoping that some advances on the book can cover it. <laughs> so just to prove that me and Vivian are the same person with the same brain cell, um, my first tattoo is also a Lord of the Rings tattoo. <laughs> Uh, and it's also in Elvish, but it, it is not the ring rhyme. Uh, it's the uh, it's the Elvish word for storyteller, uh, which doesn't actually exist. You have to translate it from English into uh, phonetic Sindarin, Sindarin, yes, and then into the the script. And so it says keeper of law, but it, it means storyteller. Which I'm a nerd, and I just nerded <laughs> that so hard. <laughs> Um, but it, it was also my first tattoo uh, of the two that I have at time of recording because I am getting my third one in June. Uh, <gasps> oh, fourth. so exciting! Yeah, uh, and my other tattoo is a Star Wars tattoo. If people don't know, I have. I'm a big Star Wars fan. I'm shocked. What? Um, <laughs> Never has come up before. What? Uh, but my my Star Wars tattoo is a tattoo of symbols from the Clone Wars and star wars rebels series because i'm actually i'm not just a star wars fan i'm a star wars animated show fan <laughs> uh so you know i feel like i need to describe it um it's the clone force 99 symbol in red and then the fulcrum symbol in orange and yellow and the j guys in green and blue because it's a little rainbow as well as being uh nerdy nerdy star wars things i just have to tell everybody i'm queer at any given moment uh <laughs> 
obviously. Uh, maybe we'll post pictures of the tattoos. We so should, yes. I mean, yeah, I, I have pictures of all the things. In case you didn't know, by this point in the season, um, in all of the descriptions, there are pictures of the objects, and I will probably also be posting them on Instagram and things yes. like that as we go. Um, so, yeah, you'll be able to see our lovely our lovely tattoos. And I'll also have my, hopefully have my third one by the time this episode goes out. Should, yes, yes, I will. So, um it will be we'll have include a picture of that but uh that's a secret thing so you can all see it when it comes out you'll know what it's there why am i keeping a secret that's stupid (laughs) Uh, it's from owl house because again i am both a nerd and a queer and therefore of course i'm getting a tattoo from owl house uh for my non-binary love rain whispers so you know yeah it's gonna be awesome and i'm very excited and it definitely doesn't match what my partner has so terrible like we've got matching tattoos oh. i think that's fine i remember um one of my friends was talking about how he got uh, a matching like couple tattoo it's like um puzzle pieces that fit together oh, that's cute. um but she has one and he has the other one um and he was describing that to a friend and the person was like "Ooh, that's a bit of a commitment and he's like you mean my wife <laughs> <laughs> like you know what also is a commitment marriage yeah like, I'm kind of here, like, we've been together for nearly five years. Like, I feel like at this point, yeah, <laughs> I like, can't get rid of them. Um, <laughs> but also, you know, Rain to me is a very important character. And so the tattoo in and of itself is it's for the character and their meaning to me as much as it is connected also to my partner. So, yeah. like, it's not quite, like, quite so, oh, my God, they fit together. They're just similar, you know? <laughs> I... they're, they're cousins, not sisters, these tattoos. <laughs> I thought that it would be fun to start with the story of me getting my my tattoo. Oh yes, because it does make me laugh every single uh, time. <laughs> I got the tattoo when I was living in Durham, uh, and what a sexy city that is! I know <laughs> it's a, it is a very beautiful city if you ever get the chance to go. Um, it's got a nice cathedral. It's a very nice cathedral. Yeah, it's. I'm trying to remember, it's like the biggest, very specific cathedral in a very specific area. You know how all the cathedrals are like, we are the number one of this very intensely specific category that we made up. Um, But it is very pretty. It's got Cuthbert and Venerable St. Bede in there as well. Woo. Um, I've got a really funny story. I feel like this is going to be, this is now just a tourist information about Durham. (laughs) Welcome to Durham, as you see on your right. No, when I um, when I brought my my, I've got a really funny story of my mom um, meeting Venerable Saint Bede because she grew up Catholic and is still kind of Catholic, and she freaked the hell out when she, I didn't tell her that he was there, and she she nearly screamed and died, and it was amazing. But anyway, so I'm getting this tattoo. And I go there in Durham, and um, the the guy had no idea what the hell was happening. I had to pull up the image and um, online, and he had to like do all the thing. Um, I was able to just walk in and do it, so it I wasn't like a big scheduled thing mm. um, because because Durham, <laughs> it's, it's a very small city as well, so it wasn't like a huge issue. And um, but as I'm actually getting. The tattoo. So the the gun is out. He is lasering it into my skin, and he <laughs> asks, how that works. Yeah. <laughs> I know everything about tattoos. Uh, he uh, was asking me how many other tattoos I had, and I said, "Oh, this is my first one." And he was completely shocked because a I wasn't I don't know crying from the pain or something, even though it really wasn't bad. 
Um, and then the other reason is because, and as he said, most people get a meaningful tattoo for their first tattoo. <laughs> What? No, like this. I don't understand why. You, if you got like you're getting like the ring rhyme put on yourself, like surely, surely you realize that that's like a meaningful thing to that person. Like, yeah, I just said it is, and he was, yeah. <laughs> and he just shut up and didn't ask any further questions. That's so funny. So I think it's funny because my first tattoo, I nearly passed out because I have never like broken a bone or anything. I've never had major surgery. My body had at that point, I have now, but like at that point when I got it, I had never had like a major physical trauma, I guess. Like I, pain was an alien concept to me <laughs> and I have a very low pain threshold as well, just generally. Uh, so I, ne- I went into shock when I had my first tattoo because my body went, what the hell is happening? Also because it's a white ink tattoo, which a lot of people are like, don't get white ink, blah, blah, blah. Because it fades, but my tattoo artist, who's a very, very good tattoo artist, um, was did it with a much bigger, heavier needle to drive it further into the skin so it wouldn't do that. Um, and um, yeah, that was that was a lot. Yep. It was uh, quite a lot. And what's kind of funny, uh, this story, is that I was having this tattoo done in my house because oh. the tattoo artist who was doing it is like the other best friend of my best friend and so we'd set up all her tattoo stuff in our house like her chair and the table and we cleaned everything down so we did it at home which meant that i was at least in a safe environment in which mm. to go into shock <laughs> um and that was uh that was fun I, yeah it's still there like i've had it touched up once and it's been eight years I was about to say, because it also might be, because I know where you get tattoos can affect a lot of how mm. painful it is. So the one on my arm was basically nothing, but I recently yeah. got another one on the inside of my wrist, on my right, yeah. and that one hurt a lot more than my so, arm did. Just so people know, my tattoo, uh, my Lord of the Rings one, is running along the bone of my wrist yeah. on the inside. Uh, it was it was. I could bad. imagine. I think when it gets the- closer to the bone or mm-hmm. something, it's... And my Star Wars one is the same on the other arm, but on the outside, again, along the bone. Because I, I hate myself. And I'm like, no, I'm going to put it where I want it. And I don't. <laughs> the amount of people have been like, that's a really terrible place to have a tattoo. It's going to hurt so much. I'm like, yeah, but it'll look real cool. Uh, like, you know, it is that thing of like, the pain is momentary, but the where it is is going to be permanent. So you might as it well. It looks really cool. Yeah. Um, um, the one I'm getting in June when I will have by the time this episode goes out is going just on my ribs and again my tattoo artist is like oh, that's gonna be and I'm like you say that but also I've had top surgery recently and therefore I can't actually feel anything there <laughs> so get it quick while I'm still anesthesia <laughs> like I, I <laughs> I've lost the sensation in the top layer of skin uh I can feel it in the muscle underneath so I'll be able to feel the vibration but I, I won't it's really interesting like I just can't feel it it's very strange. So I'm like, let's go for it while it, while that's still happening, while the nerves are still reattaching. Gotta go fast. <laughs> yeah. You're going to get the feeling back like the day before. And I'm like, bugger, no. <laughs> she thought she was just like, that is such a weird thing to be able to say. And I'm like, meh. You know, use what you got, I guess. Yeah. Um, but the reason we're talking about tattoos is not just to share our strange tattoo stories. Uh, we wanted to talk about that thing of meaning, right? So your tattoo artist saying surely you're meant to be getting something meaningful Mm -hmm. and for you it is meaningful right like these are things that we have decided to permanently put into our bodies in or on in 
I don't really know Both, how I think. It's think, like yeah. in the dermis, yeah? It is, yeah, exactly. Um, in a very, very permanent way. And I kind of feel like that is something that... you got to like the thing a lot to do that. <laughs> you got to really like it. <laughs> not for everybody, of course. Some people don't... You know, that's not the case. They just want a pretty picture. And that's also yeah, entirely I, I find valid. the more tattoos you get, the less you care. <laughs> I've seen that. I've, I mean, obviously for everybody it's different. Like, everybody's attachment to these sorts of things is very different. But I do think for once you get to a point, you're like, cool, that's just cool, let's add it. You know, um, or at least my, my experience for people with lots of tattoos is that. But yeah. Can't speak for everybody. Um, yeah, I, because I have, so my Star Wars tattoo, which I have now, we will show a beautiful picture of, is actually, it's not just, like, Star Wars. Like, each symbol and colour has a meaning to a very specific character or set of characters and I did it on purpose so I designed this tattoo it wasn't just going oh I like these symbols let's put them together I went through a couple of stages of designing it in order to represent all the characters I wanted to represent I did then kind of think I wanted to put more into it so at some point I might add a few little other symbols into there um but and the rainbow as much as I say oh it's queer it's a rainbow again that but they're, they're set out in that way to create the rainbow but again the colours each represent a different character mm. so actually for me I was going I want to represent the particular characters within this particular franchise or story or whatever that really mean something to me in a way that is like incredibly personal that you wouldn't necessarily know if you just looked at it mm. so like they're, they're sort of secret little meanings like little my little easter egg in this tattoo for myself that if I explain to people, they're like, oh, that's so nice. But, like, you wouldn't necessarily know at first glance. You wouldn't even necessarily know it was a Star Wars tattoo at first glance unless you are deep diving into that Star Wars, <laughs> you know? Like, there's definitely... I think if you know the the Clone Wars, you'd probably get it. Um, but otherwise... Yeah, the one ring is definitely a little bit more obvious, but I had a couple of fun moments because I used to... When I lived in Durham, I was teaching at the university there. And um, I had, I was in the religion department, so I had students who thought that I had, like, Sanskrit or something on my arm. It looks like Hebrew as well. It's got a similar... Yeah, I mean, they didn't know what Sanskrit looked like. They don't know what anything looks like, but they, uh, you know, it was a lot of kids that just thought, like, oh, that must be some religious language that you have put on your arm because you're here in the religion department. And I was like, I mean, it kind of is. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... You're not wrong. I had one student, he came up and asked me what it meant, and I did recite the whole poem. (laughs) Did you do it in the language of Mordor, though? Because that's... that's I'm not that much of a nerd, but... (laughs) I can't do that. What do you you mean? No, I'm the kind of nerd that has read the Cimmerillion and written many papers on it, and I could teach an entire class at Durham, and I tried to, but they wouldn't let me, all on religion and Tolkien and discussions of this and how I could do philosophy. I could do a whole thing on Foucault and Tolkien. I could go into it. That's my level of nerd. (laughs) I started learning Elvish. (laughs) I can't remember very much of it now, but I did at the time. Like, the fact that I translated my tattoo is... But these things, the whole the whole point is that, like, you know, I went and I had enough of, I love Tolkien enough to go and be like, I'm going to learn some Elvish so that I can translate my tattoo correctly. So that it isn't just English into, um, oh my god, my, I've completely forgotten the script name. Wow, I'm not a nerd, I'm not allowed here anymore. 
<laughs> fake Tolkien nerd. Oh, what? Yeah, but into the Elvish script and um, I didn't want it to just be like phonetic English into that, into the characters. I wanted to go through into like the actual language and then it, like, and I feel like that is a very specific thing to me. But also like... I was about to say, it's how I connect with the fandom on that level. It's like I wanted to, I don't want to say do it correctly because that's not right, but do it correctly for me, I guess. Mm. And for my, the meaning I take from, from Tolkien is the world building is, is the whole thing of like, um, like I get this feeling when the music at the beginning uh, concerning Hobbit starts playing at the beginning of Fellowship of the Ring. And it's like, oh, I'm going home. You know, like, oh, it's okay. I'm safe. Oh, I always say, so you know the, um, there's a song that plays in the Fellowship of the Ring, but like when they're, it's like about to end. And mm-hmm. if you listen, I listen to just the soundtrack because this is what I do with my life. Um, and the song is called The Breaking of the Fellowship for people yeah. who want to go yeah. and hop over and listen to it right now. But the opening two chords is where my soul lives. <laughs> it's just a, it's that bit at the beginning of uh, Concerning Hobbits, which I will not sing for the listeners because A, I don't want to get a copyright claim and be like mm, <laughs> a copyright <maybe>. claim <laughs> that's how youtube works right it's like if you do more than 10 seconds yeah but i think it has to be like matching the original i don't oh good i, mean, I, I, it's not I, like... I love you very much but i don't know if i don't think like i'm that good violence. i think i could be an, i don't <laughs> yeah but that's the other thing i was gonna say it's like i'm not gonna sound that good so i'm not gonna <laughs> um but that if again if you go and listen to concerning hobbits which is sort of the opening section of uh the Lord of the Rings after that. I feel it in the water. I feel it in the... Yeah, that bit. Um, God, why do I know this so well? It's got that very specific few, like, little little trill. And it's like, oh, oh the Hobbiton, oh, the Shire. You know, and they had that at the beginning of the Hobbit films as well. And I was just like, oh, here we go. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> the feelings. And again, it's reprised in Rings of Power at one point, And I was just like, don't do this to me oh my god and so we do take like those things they are part of us right they Mm -hmm. are like you can't disassociate the thing of that particular piece of music that particular feeling they all go together and they're part of who we are we've made them intrinsically like connected to us almost in the same way we've kind of you know we've drawn them on our soul if we're going to be very poetic about it you know they're there and you you don't lose that I think even if you stop being the biggest, maybe the big fan you were as a kid, all this sort of stuff, it, it rekindles those emotions in a way that you can't necessarily predict. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people, I think, have this emotional connection to stuff that is entirely illogical and entirely, you can't explain it. And so they have reactions in ways they wouldn't necessarily think they were going to have because they do have that connection where they're like, I have made this part of me and now you're saying a thing about it. So I have to... <laughs> react to that or whatever and I think that is kind of the same thing with the tattoos right if someone came up to me and said I don't like Star Wars I'd be there like oh buddy (laughs) um well that's fine I don't hate you for it but like depends on the way that you do oh I think it sucks all of it's stupid and dumb okay cool so like I've just made that a huge part of my personality so like um maybe we shouldn't hang out (laughs) like oh okay well it's it's quite a difficult you kind of take it quite personally don't you because it's like oh i like that a lot <laughs> yeah like i'm i think i mean i can't imagine me ever not liking tolkien or feeling emotional about it but theoretically playing devil's advocate if i did ever 
I think I still wouldn't ever regret getting the tattoo because it is also a reminder of what was important to me at that time and all of those deeper meanings. You know, Tolkien is really important to me because of a lot of factors. It was the first uh, class that I took where I went, I can do pop culture studies as a whole thing, which is now my job. Um, which is a huge part of who I am. Uh, I was also the first time that I read fantasy where PTSD was very well described. And as someone who struggles with PTSD, it was amazing to have that as a representation. Like there's so many things that go into that, that even if I stopped liking Lord of the Rings as an individual, all of those other emotions all of those other loves and meaningfulness that I felt in it is still going to be there and still a part of my background and a part of my history. Mm. And therefore I don't mind that it's, I mean, it's also just a body at the end of the day. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> flashback walking around in it. It's important, you know, yeah. it's kind of keeping me going. Um, well, cause like with particularly Lord of the Rings, like Lord of the Rings is, I'm going to say Tolkien in general, because it's actually the Hobbit more than the Lord mm. of the Rings. I would say initially is this connection I have to my dad. And he read me The Hobbit when I was a kid. And he, uh, like, did things like recorded the Lord of the Rings audio drama off the oh radio for me. So that I could listen to it. Because it was on at a time of day on, like, a Saturday or something where I, I can't remember. I couldn't listen to it for some reason. And he did that, like, every week without fail, the entire thing. And so I had it on, like, cassettes. Um, because I'm old. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, to... You know, my parents took me to see all the films, and like both my parents did, a, did an awful lot to be like, "You love the thing, we'll give you more of the thing." But I think it specifically connects me to my dad in a way that is very personal, mm. and particularly so. My my dad passed away seven years ago, uh, nearly eight years ago now, and so there is this thing of like that's always going to be my thing for him, and that doesn't go away. I might stop liking it. I might start thinking, "Oh my god, these stories! What the hell?" Um, or I might not like the next version of it, you know, um, they're doing some more stuff with you've got the Rings of Power TV show and you've got like new Lord of the Rings t- films or something happening. I haven't really paid that much attention because I can't be bothered to get involved with the fandom chaos that will happen around anything new. I might not like them, but that doesn't change the fact that there is a very, very emotional and familial attachment to those things because they remind me of him. And that's that's a quite a hard thing to kind of equate I guess but mm. at the same time it, it's super personal and I'm not I'm not the only one like a lot of people have these connections to things from their childhood because of their parents or an older sibling or a cousin they're really close to all these sorts of things there's a familial or a paternal or platonic connection to something because of somebody they loved or they cared about or you know all that kind of stuff who connected them to that thing and so it's not just the thing not just, like you said, it's not just Lord of the Rings. It's everything that comes with it that isn't mm-hmm. necessarily the story or the characters, which you could identify with and so hard, all this sort of stuff. But the other stuff makes it, I think, is what kind of, it's what drives it home. It's like it, what it makes it part of who you are is that thing of like, this is because of my dad. This is because this gave me my path in life. This is because this connected me to... Uh, my sibling, who I, I struggle to connect with on any other level, but this thing draws us together. You know, all those kinds of things, they're really important. And if fiction and fantasy and fandom is doing that for us in a way that maybe we wouldn't necessarily think of as fandom, like it's not 
the classic fanish behaviors then that's really really important it's the same thing as like and people go oh well you know me and my dad we struggle to talk to each other but we go to the football every week because that's the thing that we do that's our thing yeah it's the same thing right like Mm -hmm. my dad's not here but when i watch the lord of the rings i feel like he's still with me that's still important and it's like you know if i had a difficult relationship with uh, a parent or a sibling whatever and there was one thing that kept us together I think that would be quite an important thing. I mean, I can't speak for everybody. Obviously, everyone's relationships are different. But, like, I've heard enough stories and enough anecdotes and enough, like, shared moments like this to know that, like, there are these threads Mm -hmm. that run through fandom that connect us to other people, even when those people aren't there for whatever reason. When I was uh, doing research on the Legend of Zelda series, there was somebody that I talked to who... um, got into playing it from an uncle and they ended up later I think it was later they found it rather than when they were playing through it they found his old you know okay Auntie Vivian's going to explain to the young kids how video games (laughs) used to be um (laughs) there used to be like uh, you could get like the game guide books that would be help you through things because there wasn't the internet to look up the answer Mm -hmm. to solutions so he had one of those game guide like lengthy books that was incredibly annotated he had sketched out his own map of the very first zelda game that was like stuck in the book and he's like i still have this and when i play through the game i get that game guide out and i have my uncle's game guide so yeah it's like these things that I mean, when you do research with pop culture, you get these stories all the time of this is my uncle's game guide. This was the story that me and my dad listened to. This was the um, there was another one where someone was saying that they used to play Zelda um, sat on the floor and their sister would just watch. She wasn't really that into video games, so she would watch. But she ended up having a recorder and she would play the songs along with what he was doing and so it was this again it was a sibling thing it was me and my sister would play this and i don't know what the relationship is now but they'll always have the music from ocarina of time because of of their experiences and their memories of doing this and i think that's what we talk about when we talk about fandom becoming part of who we are and being part of our, our personalities and all this sort of stuff is those it's not just oh, I really like this thing, so some of it's just, I really like this thing, let's be fair. But, like, there are these moments of completely formative moments that just shape us. Mm. And at the time, they would be so almost innocuous. Like, you wouldn't even notice they were happening. You wouldn't think, oh, this is a this is a formative moment in my life. You never think that about formative moments, right? But there, you so many people can pinpoint them or pinpoint things that they did as being, like, this is this is what really gave me that relationship or gave me a part of who I am or shaped the part the path I had in life mm. you know uh people talk about seeing uh Uhura on Star Trek and how seeing a black woman on on TV for the first time and a not a role and in inverted commas described as a black woman she was just part of the crew and an she was an intelligent wasn't... woman exactly she's intelligent she's cool she's capable she's really sexy you know (laughs) but in a way that's like totally her own like she's not being sexualized she's just in control of herself and you know you then get people like Whoopi Goldberg being like that's what changed my life Mm -hmm. seeing sitting and watching Star Trek and seeing her changed my life 
And then Whoopi Goldberg goes on to be one of the most successful actresses ever, actors. It was and, on Star Trek. And it was on Star Trek because of that. <laughs> like, she literally called up Gene Roddenberry and was like, I'm being on Star Trek because of these reasons. And he went, yeah, okay, sure, yeah, fine. And it's like, those little things is like, she might not necessarily call herself a part of fandom, but I think she definitely called herself a Star Trek fan, and she has. And it was because there was a connection. And it's like wow that thing that means something to me in a way that wouldn't necessarily mean something to somebody else so whether that's a a personal familial connection like i've been talking about or whether it's that thing of like this means something above and beyond maybe what even the creators intended yes like obviously star trek was very clearly intended to be representation but i don't know if they knew exactly what that representation would mean to people i doubt it it's hard to know that isn't it Mm -hmm. um but these these characters mean so much to me or us people in general and i think it is because we humans are very good at becoming emotional about things we get connected (laughs) we get attached and when there's an attachment not just to i love this thing but you love this thing with me or i don't that's quite a difficult one to break then i think i think it i mean it's mostly because stories i mean we can't remove things from context right I mean, no. we can't in in anything in life. Like, you can't remove the context of society or culture from stuff. You can't also remove the context of yourself from things and look at things, um, quote unquote, like objectively. Like, it just doesn't. That's not possible. Yeah. Which sucks as a you know supposed scientist. It'd be really helpful uh, if you could do that, wouldn't it? <laughs> but that's not how that works. And and you know, so that means that anybody who comes towards a piece of of media is not only bringing the context of the society and culture that they're looking at it within, they're looking at it within the society and the culture that it was made in. And then they're also bringing with them their whole baggage of being a human. So I was at Star Wars Celebration Europe and I was cosplaying uh, my favorite Star Wars character Tick <laughs> from the Bad Batch, which is exactly how to say his name every single time uh, in a bad New Zealand accent because the actress who plays his little sister has a proper New Zealand accent <laughs> and is from New Zealand. Um, so I love him so much. I, I, I loved him since he first appeared in the Clone Wars, all this sort of stuff. Um, and I kind of didn't know why. There was part of me was like, he feels like me. This person, he feels like me. Okay, this is really interesting. And then in the most recent season... It was pretty much confirmed, though they didn't use the word because it's Star Wars and therefore you don't use terminology from not Star Wars. Um, It was basically confirmed that he's autistic and he talks about processing things different. Like there's a whole episode where he really goes into detail about talking about how his brain works and how hard things are for him and talking and openly about being autistic. And I cried through the whole episode because I was just like, it was the first time I'd ever seen something in pop culture not just be like oh yeah they're autistic whatever and with like a sort of a few throwaway comments it was the first time a character had sat down and talked about how difficult that is and like what mm. that means and all this sort of stuff and like had this really intense heart to heart about things where somebody was angry at them for not expressing things in a way that they expected things to be expressed and they were like well no i, I, I just can't like the line is just because i do not feel things the same way as you does not mean i don't and it's like oh you know that really hit home for a lot of people and so it's celebration like everybody who was cosplaying tech had this we kind of we were less like 
you know, like like neurotypical, uh, neurodiverse joy. I'd be like, you're like me. Oh my god, you're like me. And we kind of all found each other, and it was like really, really sweet to be like, oh, these people, and this means so much, and all this sort of stuff. And like that kind of thing, I think, is those moments of like, oh shit, you know, this is this is why it means so much. And like, I don't think I'm ever gonna not love tech, mm. like. He, he's incredibly important to me and incredibly special even if we only get three we are only getting three series of the show like they've confirmed that the next season is the final season that's all that's happening and like I don't see him becoming less special to me just because he's not on TV anymore also like this comes out way after the finale and I still don't want to spoil it for people just in case but like whew, <laughs> I was I was not in a good place after that um, so like those kind of moments and those things that we've talked about all of these come together into this thing of like you i could not take the context of me being autistic away from this so that it wasn't like me i couldn't just see it as like wow this is a really good piece of character development it was so close to home to be like i've had these conversations i've had these like they had these pauses where you could see him thinking about how to and i was like oh my god like it was so perfectly done to how autistic people often present and how they struggle to communicate things it was incredible um and a lot of people not just me a lot of people recognized it as that and i kind of feel that those things are it it would be impossible to yeah the star wars universe like i said does not have a word for it right they didn't use the word but you cannot take away the context of me as an autistic person living in a society that recognizes autism seeing that as what it is Mm -hmm. even if it doesn't have the context of the word because of the descriptions and because of the way he talked about it and the way he acts so it's like holy crap that's a really big thing and i can't change that about how i you know how i perceived it other people might not have perceived it like that but they're wrong and i'm only <laughs> right so you know uh <laughs> i've done the research i know everything about <laughs> but yeah i think like that is that is more important i've gone off on a tangent i'm so sorry it's but like fine. this stuff is like when you kind of talk about these things where you you want to make it you want to tattoo it on your body it's so important to you yeah it's got so much meaning it's it is those things but oh my god please stop me talking because i want to keep talking about tech <laughs> like i'm just gonna back i'm just gonna talk about tech guys we're there. I mean, basically i mean this is supposed to be an episode on on tattoos but it does become about it's a lot more it's about why people get tattoos and the fact that it is i think often seen as you know as as my tattoo artist felt as something that is a throwaway it's a goofy thing but i think that it's losing the sense of how meaningful pop culture can be and yeah sometimes you want to get a fun tattoo because it's it's fun but i think Mm -hmm. even then right like people find things fun for a reason and that is an inherent emotional connection. Even if you're not sobbing out of the love of seeing representation finally for the first time, uh, even if that's not what's happening, that still is something that is, ha- there is something happening that is connecting you to this piece. Um, a couple of years ago, 
there was somebody who was on Love Island who I did not realize. We rewatched quite a lot of the season um, way later, and I didn't realize how late he came in to the show because I I felt like he was this huge presence. He was one of the most popular people on on that season, and he came in really late, which is not that's not normally how it goes for people who come in really late. But he was a vibe man. Like he he walked around with a towel like wrapped around his head he would wear like two pairs of sunglasses and he was like wearing like a flowy robe that he took from somebody and like and he was just having he was there to have the best time of his life and he didn't really care what else happened and somebody got a tattoo that was very stylized like line art type thing of him with the two sunglasses and the towel up on his head and uh, there was an article on, like, you know, the Daily Mail or whatever that was written up about it. And the number of people that were like, this is stupid. Like, you got a Love Island tattoo. And their response is like, well, because he's such a cool vibe. Like, I want to be reminded of this vibe. I want to be reminded of of the attitude that this person held in their life. And yeah, yeah it was a, but a bunch of fun for this person who got the tattoo, but it's a bunch of fun for a reason. It's a bunch of yeah. fun because they're like, I get you. I get you and what you're doing, and I want more of that in my life. Yeah, well, it goes back to the, what we were talking about with the Tolkien Society, is that fun can have meaning. And you don't yeah. have to make it a super serious sobbing about an animated man on the telly um you know you don't have to have it be like that doesn't have to be the super emotional connection fun is meaningful in its own way that's why humans have fun yeah we of course it like play is how we can make connections how we learn about the world around us play and exploring and having a good time makes us happier so why should everything like why should a tattoo have to have super meaningful whatevers why can't you just have your favorite meme tattooed on you because i love that meme it makes me laugh every time i see it so i'm gonna have it on me forever let's go meme you know which people definitely do or like they just say, they get something because it makes them laugh or it makes them smile or it makes somebody else smile you know or like that every time somebody might see a, a little funny t- you know tattoo of a, a dog or something on your leg people might go that's a cute dog you know and that that's just as meaningful right that has just as much valid meaning because it's silly and it's fun than oh i got this tattoo for my dead dad you know <laughs> yeah those are two ends of a very it's a horseshoe right like they come back to the same place they're not they're just as important as each other and i think getting the silly dog tattoo is just as important as the dead dad tattoo <laughs> I, I now kind of want a silly dog tattoo because it made me laugh. But. I would just love to go into a tattoo parlor and be like, I want a dead dad ta- tattoo, please. <laughs> <laughs> I want it right next to the silly dog, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> I can't wait. We're going to edit so much of this out. Oh, God. The silly dog and the dead dad together. <laughs> Now, the ultimate is if your uh, dead dad tattoo is the silly dog tattoo. <laughs> I feel like that's a a, a, play, a way to do it. If you have a dead dad's silly dog tattoo, please contact the show. <laughs> Comment. Uh, like and subscribe. Uh, shall I this calm you down job. with talking some academic shit? Please. That would <laughs> some, be fun. Some way less fun stuff. 
Um, although, if I were to get a tattoo of an anthropologist, I'm not a big fan of, like, people's faces on me. Mm. So I would have to get something else that... Rep- oh, there's an amazing quote from this anthropologist, which is a discussion for another time, because it is not <laughs> suited for this one here. But it's Mary Douglas is one of my favorite anthropologists, because, again, representation matters. When I was in university, she was the only woman that I think I ever read. Um <laughs> So, uh, yeah, she, she's great. But she has a quote of dirt is matter out of place. And I love it so much. But anyway, um, I, I'll explain that quote in a different day for a different topic. But she also has this other idea, which is uh, the two bodies. And people have kind of taken this idea and, and done what academics do, which is to add and critique and adjust it. And now there's people that are like, there's seven bodies, there's 10 <laughs> bodies, there's 12 bodies. But we're going to we're going to stick to the two bodies because that's the basics. But basically, Mary Douglas said that we each have two bodies. There's the physical body, the biological thing, the flesh bag that is here. But there's also a social body. And the social body is the body that is typically dressed, that is read by the rest of society in a particular way, that is understood um, from a socialized perspective, which is actually different than the biological body. So the social body um, is the way that we communicate with uh, the rest of our society through our physical body. So you communicate gender in a particular way by dressing and moving and acting in a particular way. Um, You communicate um, standing, uh, authority by dressing in a particular way. Uh, I remember being critiqued sometimes in academia because I wasn't dressed in a particular way, which is both a misogynistic gender conversation as well as an authoritarian thing. Wearing jeans and a t-shirt was not seen as authoritarian when running a classroom. Um, so, you know, you have to dress. I went to art school. So like, you don't, I was in a religion department. They're lucky (laughs) I wasn't smoking weed sitting on a table. Like, I don't know what they expect from me. That's the, when I went to my undergrad, that was what I was used to is people wearing, uh, messy shirts and cargo pants and sat, they were the ones sat on top of the desk telling you about how life really is, man. And then, uh, and that's how it was in Florida. And then you went to Durham University, where they got a stick up their asses. No offense, Durham, they were wonderful, but you do. And it was, everyone was wearing, like, suits. And I was like, what are you doing? This is a religion department. I thought that you all were like, we're not math, we're not business. What are you doing? (laughs) My my tutors just turned up with paint all over them every, you know. They'd, they'd be standing outside smoking a a rolly and then come in (laughs) and and just be like, right paint let's go you know uh because yeah i went to art school and, and <laughs> so you know uh, i love art school was great so i ended up being the teacher that would come in and throw up a, a video of someone playing through bioshock infinite and we would just have conversations about god through that because that's what okay. i did with we're having life. that discussion at some point <laughs> <laughs> if you let me go full religion on this podcast oh boy <laughs> i just want to talk about bioshock infinite um uh there's <laughs> pause and we will talk about this when the recording stops but basically um this idea of communicating a social body is i think where tattoos are really fascinating right because that is essentially what you're doing is you're marking you're transforming the physical in order to communicate the social 
So by having the Lord of the Rings tattooed on me, it is on my physical, biological body. But it's communicating my social stance. It's communicating my position to fandom. It's communicating my meaning that I've attached Mm. to it. And it's also signaling to other people who love Lord of the Rings that this is somebody who also loves Lord of the Rings and we chat and we be friends. And in fact, that has happened many a time, including I was at archery and was shooting and it was warm enough for me to be in my short sleeves. And there was an older man who also had the same tattoo on the same arm (gasps) in the same place and uh, was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And we ended up chatting about Lord of the Rings and archery for a really long time. But this is it, right? This is, I think, where I was trying to go until I got really emotional about tech (laughs) and had to stop myself, is that, like, I put the physical thing, I put the cosplay on my body, right? And so did the other people, Mm -hmm. so we could find each other, right? We were like, oh, oh, you, 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 you like me. Oh my goodness, this is so exciting. You know, you love the thing too. And cosplay particularly, I think, really does that. Because as much as, you know, you might see somebody walking around in their t-shirt of the fandom and all this sort of stuff and you could be like oh cool you like the same fandom when somebody has gone so far to make and or buy or a mix of both a version of that character and physically put it onto themselves and become the character in one way or another that is you you gravitate to each other you're like oh same hat same hat you know yeah. <laughs> kind of thing I mean you say, you having... best believe that Mary Douglas's two bodies is coming up in my cosplay book fuck you of course <laughs> yeah but like it's very important like that is the social thing you're dressing yourself to be like and like so if you've got tattoos or something you see them and you're like oh you have done a very it's not just I think wearing a t-shirt is cool but like it's a the extre- the extremity of it I think that thing of like you have gone above and beyond to show how much you like this thing you have spent a lot of money wanting to like this thing. You know, tattoos aren't cheap. Cosplay is not cheap. Uh, so yeah, no, no, these are not cheap things. And then like you, you just kind of, you find other people who, who love it as much as you and you make the and It's like, oh, we have the same brain in at least a little bit of a capacity. You know, you can have that, you're having that conversation at archery where you're all like, oh, what is exactly the same? That's amazing. You know, I mean, obviously it would be exactly, exactly the same, but it's pretty damn similar. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, I guess part of me is a bit sad that my, maybe my tattoos aren't as recognizable or obvious uh, for what they are, but it, it does mean that when people do get it, they really get it. And that's very exciting. It's not, you know, it's not just, oh, it's the Death Star or whatever. Like, it's not a more obvious Star Wars thing, I guess. Those are also cool tattoos. I do like them. But um, with this, it's so specific. And when people get it, it's like, ooh, we really, really like the same thing. Okay, this is cool, you know. (laughs) And so we can have those, like, little emotional connections with each other. And I think that's the thing about, like, yeah, it's fun and silly. And having a Star Wars tattoo can both be crying sobbing meaningful but also fun and silly meaningful because it is still star wars i will still completely admit to the fact it's laser swords in space and that's dumb um i love it but it's dumb makes no sense mandalorian finale what were you oh my goodness anyway you know little green cute man dude what is grogu i don't know um but these things are so so important that like that thing I love the idea of the two bodies though I was thinking about like is that why 
autistic people already struggle with so like oh maybe our other body is very different <laughs> like, well, yeah, i mean it's also working. the the difficulty i think with the social body is that it is all unspoken contextual mm-hmm. which is obviously things that autistic people can struggle with is the unspoken <laughs> socialized contextual bodies um and <laughs> the worst thing yeah Yes, um, but that's basically because it is that thing of it is the fact that I am supposed to be wearing a nice outfit when I am teaching and supposed to a outfit that communicates that I'm a student, even though I was kind of a student at the same time. And so it's like, then what do I wear when I'm both? Um, you know, it, it's it's those things. It's the fact that um, when I am introducing my partner, I want him to look nice. So that way my dad thinks he can take care of me because he kind of is. Um, it's, it's these it's these various things that are unfortunately embedded in some things that are problematic in society, like ableism, like racism, like sexism, but are there. I think that there is a really cool thing that although there is a lot of issues in society that sometimes when you are aware of it you can change things to not be as much of a problem yeah or you can <laughs> i see i i am that person i'm gonna be a problem on purpose so well but that is kind of, exactly you know you lean into it you're like you know what i'm weird I'm yeah the curve you know because i am i'm uh trans non-binary person i have done i have had physical transition and i've had social transition and both Mm -hmm. are very different um but because of the fact that i am a nerd and an autistic nerd at that that i kind of go with well i'm not gonna fit in right this just isn't happening for me so let's just own it i will get star wars tattooed on my body i will do these things that make me happy i'm gonna dress in a way that people are gonna be like what is that and I think that's what we're trying to convey with this whole episode is that thing of like, if these things become part of you, they become part of who you are and they have this meaning and they are your, your kind of social thing. The other people who like that or are like that will converge to you. Mm -hmm. Eventually you will find each other. And by kind of announcing your presence in that sort of way by going, well, I'm just owning this now. You're more likely to find those people. Mm-hmm. You're more likely to be like, I love Star Wars because I have it physically embedded in my skin forever. Um, and I hope that other people love Star Wars in that way. You know, it's how I met my partner. It's how I've met some of my closest friends is through fandom and through expressing it through cosplay or expressing it through tattoos or expressing it through, God, uh, <laughs> fan fiction even. You know, these things where it's like, oh, this is this is so cool. And you love it with me. And I think we've said that a hundred times, but that is that is what all of this kind of boils down to is sort of finding your tribe and finding your people and mm-hmm. it whether that's developed together through moments where you share or whether it's because you both kind of go, oh, Wait, are we thinking that oh wow, that's really cool. You you wanna talk about that thing with me? Oh wow, yeah, yeah. And I also like this and then um I think we talked about like with the knitting episode where we talked about the connection between like you have one connection, which might be your fan thing. And so, oh yeah, we both like the same fan thing, that's cool. But if we also both like this same other thing and there's a second connection, then that builds and builds and builds, right? And I think that's kind of what this is as well. It links very well into those ideas that we were talking about with the with the kind of the crafting and the knitting stuff that people's fan cultures come together and and converge in different ways 
And the more you express it, the more likely you are to find people who are just as fun and weird as you are. I mean, that's what happened with us, right? We yeah. we met and we were supposed to be talking about more um, intellectual things <laughs> and work stuff. And as you can tell from this podcast, we talked for ages about not the things. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you've got to episode 10 of this podcast, you know that we're going to go off <laughs> You can imagine how that coffee went. Yeah. I think we were there for five hours or something. It was something very long. It was a really long time. <laughs> I don't. That was great though. I, I love meeting people like that, and I love finding these moments of like, <gasps> ooh, gives me the brain tingles, the happy little. Yeah, brain tingles. I mean, it's that. It's just that fun moment of. I mean, when I was there, it didn't feel like four hours or five hours or no, however long it was. It was that weird moment of, I think when I was leaving, I was like, it's so strange that I only just met this person. Like, yeah, you would, if someone ran into us, they would have thought that we were old friends catching up and we've known each other for years. Because that's what it feels like, I think, when you meet these people for the yeah. first time that it's like, oh, oh, you're my person and you've been my person forever. I just didn't know you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> but like... I think, you know, I, I remember logging into one of the interviews I did for my book. Um, if I haven't talked about this book enough. <laughs> um, and uh, seeing behind him, he had a load of Star Trek action figures, like, on the wall. Like, on little shelves. And, like, little scenes. It was really cute and I really liked it. And I was just able to be like, oh, that's awesome. You, you really like... Uh, the original series and he was like yeah i mean i like all of star trek but the original series is my thing and so we were able to talk about the original series and like it's not particularly my thing but it is my parents thing mm -hmm. and so i was able to kind of be like right i know something about this we can we can link into each other um but going back to like the idea because i actually think this is something that people do a lot without realizing it um is things like the amount of times i would get in a cab with my dad and he would end up talking about football with the cabbie my father, who has never watched a match of football in his life, <laughs> as far as I was aware, I never saw him watching it, but he knew enough about that thing to make a connection with this other person in a way that would create a sort of social bond or a social norm within the, the cab ride, I guess. I don't know. That people do it all the time. They find that thing like, right, this is going to be something we can connect on and we can talk about and so we can human together mm -hmm. otherwise it's going to get real awkward real quick um i think we all do that we see we're, we're looking like what what is it that you can we can talk about okay this is our small talk thing like except like it's never small talk is it? it's always big talk really but <laughs> it's it's just a it's just a way of humans connecting with each other i think it all boils down to that is it's human connection and for some reason, fandom is deemed as a silly human connection. I don't know why. It's because of the laser swords, isn't it? Uh, I mean, potentially. <laughs> yeah. It it's could a, be uh, the uh, translating things into Elvish bit as well. But <laughs> you're, just, you're just calling me out. <laughs> what? At least it's not Klingon. That, that's you now. I'm being, I'm being deprecating about Trekkies. I'm sorry. I love you, Trekkies. You're great. <laughs> but there's nothing wrong with loving things. Um, it was... I think it was Hugh Laurie said that he loved going to fan conventions because he got to meet people who loved things unashamedly mm -hmm. and human and we don't do that very often society tells us we can't and and fans don't do that they just love the thing and they don't care I really liked that I've always yeah. remembered that as a thing of like yeah love things unashamedly because why shouldn't we why should society tell us we can't yeah do that? it is the thing of why is it weirder for me to get elvish tattooed on me than if I did get sanskrit or hebrew like 
why is one deemed as more important than the other one? And it's just it. What it is is it's context, right? It's, yeah. It's that one person has Hebrew is more important to them, which is fine. For me, Elvish is. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like most of what we talk about with this podcast boils down to the fact that humans really enjoy doing human things and maybe we should just let them. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I know that we're preaching to the choir because there's nobody that's going to be listening to this that's like, I mean, I don't, I think fans are stupid. Let me listen to this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But I also think that it's worth remembering that like, while we're talking about uh, what I would guess would be visual pop culture mediums, uh, so things like Star Trek and Star Wars and Lord of the Rings and, and all that kind of stuff, this is the same for people who get song lyrics tattooed on themselves oh, yeah. or uh they're you know people have we talked about taylor swift people have taylor swift things as tattoos people have beatles things as tattoos all this sort of stuff people have their favorite footballers number as a you know all this sort of stuff like these all are the same thing and in some sense for some reason the one with the laser swords and and the hobbits is not as cool as the others <laughs> i mean can you I imagine why? the depth of nerd that i would become if i actually did get mary douglas's primary thesis <laughs> tattooed on my body like of course that would be insane and nerdy but i'm thinking about it <laughs> you should do it do dude it. if i had the money i would i would <laughs> See, I kind of feel like it's one of these things that I have considered and I'm still considering getting a tattoo for what would be probably my first major international cosplay competition if I managed to make it through next year. And I've been, don't genuinely thought, like, if I do that, if I manage to get to an international qualifier, I don't even care if I win, I just want to get to the qualifier, um, I would get a tattoo to represent that. Because for me, like, cosplay is so part of who I am. It is my major special interest. It is a major part of my life. It is something I have written about extensively. I've talked about extensively. It's how we met. It's how I met a lot of cool people in my life. It's so important to me that actually for something like that, where it's like, I managed to do this thing with cosplay that's super important, I want to get something to represent that. Mm. Makes sense to me. But for other people, they'd be like, what? It's just... the dressing up thing ollie and i'd be like yeah yeah it is isn't it the silly <laughs> dressing but like i was talking to my friend last night about how i next year world con is coming to glasgow uh it's the first time it's back in the uk for i want to say nine eight nine years um i went to it when it was in london and so i'm really excited to go to it in glasgow um and I'm going to enter the cosplay competition. And the reason I'm going to enter it is because it's the longest running and the first cosplay competition that was ever set up by uh, Myrtle Douglas Morojo, who was the person who we can pretty much trace back the first time people wore costumes to a convention was her, really, in, in the kind of, I guess, modern context mm-hmm. of pop culture. Like, we've talked about the, the Shakespeare Jubilee and all that kind of stuff, but... The first time that somebody really wore what we call a pop culture costume to a pop culture event in the era of media was Morojo. Um, someone's going to argue with me about this. I don't care. you know. <laughs> and she kind of, she was the one who really pushed for the competition. It was set up by her. She literally ran one in her hotel room one year because she was like, well, we can't do it at the convention. So we'll do it here. And then, then the year after that, the convention went, yeah, okay, we'll do it because everyone wants it. And so it's been running since 1941, 
for me to do that competition is super meaningful. It's like my little pilgrimage, you know, to go and do the competition that Morojo set up is like, that's super meaningful. Does it mean anything to anyone else? Probably not. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to Mecca, you know, but it's important to me and I'll probably cry about it because of course I will. I'll get super overwhelmed and emotional. Um, but if I manage it, if I do that, then I want to remember it somehow. You know, that that's a big deal. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's what, like we said, it all boils down to those moments. It's like, it doesn't matter if nobody else gets it. It genuinely doesn't. Because you'll find the one person who does. And the one person who's like, wow, that's so cool. Or, yeah. And then, and then they're your people forever and you can't get rid of them. Damn it. Stuck with you. Well, it's also, <laughs> ultimately, it's also for you, right? Exactly. It's when I am seeing my arm, I get a little happy. So, yeah. yeah. Make yourself it's, happy. Screw get yourself a Mary Douglas tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's why we're signing off. We're doing that. That's that's the lesson, the moral of the story. Make yourself happy and get the nerdiest damn tattoo you can. <laughs> I hope we've convinced some people to get tattoos in this. God, episode. I hope so. Send us yeah, Oh my god, great. I wanna see I wanna see y'all's tattoos. Yes. If you guys are listening and you have nerdy tattoos, please, please show us them. I wanna see I would them. Love to and see I might them. steal I get some so of them. E- <laughs> I get so excited when I see them. Like there was a, a guy at DiscordCon who had yeah, because I went to DiscworldCon. Uh, <laughs> he had the coolest tattoo. It was all like um, hexagons together, and each one had a different like fandom thing in it, and they all like linked together. It was it was really cool, and like oh, it, I can't even describe how cool it looked. It was amazing, and like really almost photo detail on things. Ooh. It was it was genuinely cool. I was just like, oh, what? It, it blew my mind. Anyway, do do all the podcast stuff. Oh the, yeah, the follow and the like and the subscribe and the please do rate that and, and the what else? Do the reviews do? are great. Reviews are really helpful. They really help. Please do that. They help other people find this, whatever this is, whatever this um, is. And we will be back in two weeks' time. I've remembered our release schedule Yay. now, which is great. Right <gasps> in time for yeah. us to be <laughs> slowing down. Anyway, so yeah, please do like, subscribe, send to your friends, send to your family, annoy them with this until they listen to it. Uh, <laughs> leave a review, tell us if you like our rambling. Don't tell us if you don't like the rambling. That's, we don't care. Um, and uh, we'll see you next time. I've been Holly Swinyard. I've been Vivian Simos. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Remember to like, review and subscribe wherever you listen to this podcast and do give it a share. Tell your friends, family and fellow fans and get the word out. You can follow us on social media, links in the show notes, as are some links to further reading. Who doesn't like a reading list? We are nerds after all. Music for this episode was Nowhere Land by Kevin MacLeod, licensed under Creative Commons Attribute 3.0. This episode was produced by Vivian Asimov and Holly Swinyard.